Welcome to the Gold Silver Pros Podcast with Rob Keens, your precious metals podcast for interviews, breaking economic news, and more. Today's episode, Gold and Silver Pop, Platinum Could Be Next, featuring Steve Penny. Hey everybody, this is Rob Keens with goldsilverpros.com. We're recording this on Monday, March 7th, 2022, so please keep that in mind when we talk about prices, which we will the precious metals here in a moment. I'm joined by Steve Penny of the Silver Chartist back for his bi-weekly visit. Steve, thank you for joining us again. You bet, Rob. Thanks for inviting me back. It's always fun to connect with you and your audience, so look forward to a good discussion. Well, we appreciate you because you get very technical. My audience loves getting technical and loves your perspectives on the precious metals markets. And to that point, we were talking about this before we started recording the video. Gold, I believe, Steve, last night touched on, I think you said 2005 very briefly before coming back down to the 1900s today. That, that's a major move for gold, the only second time crossing that 2000 barrier, I believe. It is, yeah, very close to, well, I was going to say close to a major breakout. I think it's we're past the major breakout point. That's already happened. But yeah. a, a weekly close and a monthly close above 2000 would be very significant. Now, so far, it's intraday. We're speaking intraday, but we haven't held above 2000. We got up to like 2007, and now we're down at 1980. So we're off, you know, over 20 bucks. But nonetheless, this, this is a major breakout. And I think uh, almost everyone who looks at charts and fundamentals is expecting higher highs and higher lows going forward. So I think we finally turned to the corner here, which is encouraging. Yeah, it did break out of that 18 or so month consolidation pattern, otherwise known as the handle to the cup, the super bullish, what is it now, an 11-year pattern on the chart, which typically pretends, whether it be precious metals or stocks or whatever, another bull market coming. Looks like technically we've we've done that. And you get even more granular on, on your charts, not just big formations like up in handles, but doing flags and, and consolidations and things like that. Tell us a little bit about silver. It's trading about the mid-25s now. I had 2450 as a major resistance line. We're above that. I think 26 mm -hmm. may be the next one for me. What What's silver to you, and, and how is it looking on the charts? Yeah, it's silver, as we expect. I think last time we talked, we were talking about silver likely plays catch-up to gold, and we're seeing that. Mm -hmm. So the, the first resistance level that we cleared, I, I call it the silver squeeze downtrend line that started on the silver squeeze back in February 1st of 2021. And I call it that to bring remembrance to the most blatant act of manipulation I've ever seen. I mean, if mm -hmm. just to, for <laughs> reminding... We saw record physical demand on that day. Of course, supply doesn't change, and then the price falls. Um, it makes zero logical sense, defies the laws of supply and demand. But anyway, we finally broke above that downtrend channel that's been enforced for over a year, and then we made a higher high. So I think there's a very good chance here in the intermediate term that $30 is retested. That's my intermediate term target over the next couple couple months, and it could, that could happen even sooner. But $30 I think really, gonna... but, sorry, that $30 is a major point because we know Rostin Benham admitted in public that the CFTC used all of their tools to <clears throat> tamp down silver at that $30 mark. I now call it the Maginot line because the CFTC, mm -hmm. the regular, is actively trying to keep it below, or at least they did back then. Yeah. It was at the Boca V conference. It's public, not conspiracy theory. Um, so if it does pop that $30, what does that pretend for silver? Do you, do you think the market would then want to sell it at that point and put some selling pressure in the futures, or do you think it's going to continue to run past 30 um, I mean, very often when you get a major breakout, you break above the resistance and then you come back and back test it and then you resume the uptrend. So th that's yeah. the most logical path. Once we break 30, you know, we're still a little bit away from that. But really, there's not much in the way of resistance between 30 and 50. I think from 30 to 50 could happen faster than a lot of people think. Maybe not your listeners, but a lot of generalists anyway. 
Yeah, I think you're going to get everybody's silver pants very excited there because last time we we're at 50, that you know that was a nominal high, not an inflation adjusted high. Mm-hmm. If we get up to 50 again, and it was like 1980, and then it was 2011 when it touched very briefly on 50. The the last times I can remember, correct me if I'm wrong. But that's not inflation adjusted. So if it hits 50 this time, is it as significant as 2011 and 1980, or do we need to see a higher price to reflect, you know, the prices of goods and services due to inflation of the money supply? Yeah, 100%. I think $50 is is going to mark the next phase of this bull market. By no means will it be the end, because like you said, adjusted for inflation. I mean, if you use John Williams' numbers, it's into the several hundreds uh, dollars per ounce. N- none of those numbers would surprise me in the in the coming years. Um, I'm always reluctant to even say these numbers because some people there, you always get a handful of people who say, "Oh, you're ridiculous. You're just pumping." The, a $300 silver is not an outlandish outlandish number in the coming years. I'm not saying tomorrow. I'm not saying go straight there, <clears throat> but just th- that would be like the average of the previous two bull markets in uh, percentage terms. So yeah, I think $50 once we get above that is just going to mark the next phase of this bull market. By no means will it be the end. And actually, something we talked about to lead off, which we haven't gotten to yet, is platinum. We haven't talked platinum, I don't think, me and you on the show. I'm excited. Platinum got above 1100 last week. I bought it a few years ago. It was like 940 or something. So I'm finally back in the green after what seems like a very, very mm-hmm. long wait. You know, palladium was being demanded more. It went almost to 3000 mm-hmm. due to its use in catalytic converters. It's a better use in some catalytic converter applications than platinum. Uh, is platinum becoming a new substitute or are, are they actually using it in the automotive sector more because palladium or is this more of a technical move to realize that both, you know, essentially both platinum and, and palladium, second largest producer, Russia, that that's indicating risk with it, with that market. Yep, I think you hit two out of the three big drivers that I like about platinum. First of all, it, it appeals to my contrarian nature. It, it reminds me a lot of uranium a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Because back in 2014, we had the Dieselgate scandal with Volkswagen, and you know, platinum yes. is used in these catalytic converters and primarily in diesel engines. So the world kind of mm-hmm. swore off diesel, and the, mar- the price of platinum adjusted accordingly, and kind of rightfully so, that it was a bearish fundamental. But I think that, mm-hmm. that development is more than priced in now, and it's been overdone to the mm-hmm. downside. And then none of the upside catalysts are even being factored in. So from a technical perspective, it's undervalued historically. Like, you know, like once a, once in a lifetime, historically undervalued relative to other metals, and it's just starting to break out technically. And uh, you mentioned substitution. The, the, uh, primarily, palladium is used in regular, you know, internal combustion engines. But you can mm-hmm. substitute platinum easily. And right now, with the mm-hmm. palladium price over twice that of platinum, it just makes sense for these auto manufacturers to begin substituting. So that's more demand. And then whenever I hear the word hydrogen economy or hydrogen fuel cell uh, energy, think platinum because that technology uses a ton of platinum and big uh, countries, big companies are putting a lot of money into hydrogen technology, which is just another future demand source. So very excited about platinum. It's a speculative asset, of course. I'm not saying sell silver and go buy platinum, but hey, I want to have a little bit. Yeah, I do have a little bit and glad that I do. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I I think the death of platinum was overstated. Mm -hmm. It can be used in jewelry, it can be used in automotive applications. There's not enough palladium around. If you really want to get a little bit deeper in the weeds, rhodium really spiked up because it's used as well in autom- automotive catalytic converters. And I bought a ring that was made of rhodium. as a Vera Wing, a Wang ring mm-hmm. from my wife and upgrade for her wedding ring a few years ago, which was rhodium. And I'm glad I did because the price spiked after I bought it. So it's mm-hmm. used in jewelry as well. So rhodium's a little bit of a speculative asset there too, but even more rare than both platinum and palladium. Um, 
and just throw that out there, you know, because I like to throw rhodium in with those. It's often the forgotten one, but it's been a good speculation for people as of late. Uh, wanted to get back to something you said earlier, because I had a Twitter question this morning from a viewer. We posted the gold and silver chart, said gold and silver ran up pretty well, you know, last week and over the weekend and in, in overseas markets and for the open. And somebody asked, should I invest in, in platinum? And my answer was, yeah, it's not really considered a money substitute, so it's more speculative. But from a portfolio construction perspective, Steve, how much would you put into platinum? Do you have a rule of thumb on, on portfolio size there or just get a little? Uh, I think the simple answer is just get a little. <clears throat> for, for me personally, uh, it makes up about 13 14% of my physical metal holdings. Um, and right. I'm pretty aggressive and nimble. So I, I'd like to get that up to yeah. 20% of my total physical. And then wow. the plan would be to swap some of that platinum for for gold down the road as the ratio normalizes. And I, I understand the risk that there is, I know, I'm very confident there's coming a time where we're not going to be able to do things like that because the market's going to be too uh, liquid. You're not going to be able to get gold. Um, so I run that risk that I may be stuck with my platinum. But at the same time, if that trade works out, I might end up getting twice as much gold by swapping it for platinum. So you think, so I'm intuiting a couple of things. One, do you think platinum's got a long way to run here because of the aforementioned reasons? And two, gold may become unobtainium in a very heavy geopolitical scenario or economic crash scenario. Mm -hmm. Do you anticipate one of those two coming into focus in the next few years? Yeah, I do. And I, th I think uh, the geopolitical aspect and the monetary aspect, what's happening, I, I, I think a lot of people put them in two separate categories. And um, I, I know you're very knowledgeable, probably more than I am, on, on how the two are intertwined. So I, I think both things are going to escalate. We're going to see more geopolitical tensions around the world, which is going to put more stress on the global financial system, which is going to make these central banks have to more monetize more debt, which is going to create more demand for physical things. So I, I think it's, you know, they're very intertwined. Um, I heard the saying that currency wars often lead to trade wars, which precede kinetic wars, yes. unfortunately. Yeah. And we're, I think we're seeing that right now. I think we are, but I got an absolute ton of flack on Twitter. I mean, I didn't have my flak jacket, so I've got holes in it. You can't see I'm wearing a shirt over it. <laughs> but I said, you know, I don't think Ukraine's the end. And we started looking at other potential targets. But I was looking down the road. I wasn't saying like tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And man, people absolutely obliterated me, said, you don't understand the history. And I'm like, well, I kind of do. My father was in World War II, 7th Naval Battalion, landed on D-Day. Mm -hmm. I wasn't there, but I studied it because my dad died when I was young, and it's the only way I could stay connected to him is to understand his life, and it's one of the things I studied. And my older brother, Tim, knows it very well. He was in the Vietnam War, so he can speak to a couple of different wars and its effects and how they came about and why they came about. And so if you look at a broader, with a broader brush at history, you're exactly right. It is economic commodity the war for resources, so to speak, and then the kinetic war. I kind of feel like, Steve, some of that's playing out mm -hmm. as we go along, not saying we've reached every milestone, but China has built road initiative. Uh, USA, Japan, Australia, and a couple other countries have the blue dot. So everybody has, has named their separate trading routes. Mm -hmm. And of course, we see people fighting for commodities. Oil spiked over $100 a barrel. Uh, some people are saying, I, I have a really good friend, Logan Kane, that writes for Seeking Alpha, which says he thinks oil has to hit $150 a barrel for it for the demand to, to begin to subside before it comes back down. That's huge. Um, I, I'm seeing upward prices in a lot of commodities. What, what is your view on that? 
Yeah, 100%. I was just looking at the DBC commodity ETF the other day, and the thing looks like a, a crypto chart, you know, that just wild swings. Mm -hmm. um, and what's interesting, too, so whenever I see commodities running, and especially outperforming general equities, you know, I, I like to drill down and say, well, what are the most undervalued commodities? You know, what hasn't run yet? And most things are running nicely, mm -hmm. but, you know, silver and gold really, even though they've had a nice run here, they haven't run as much as some of the other commodities. So I, I think that leaves a lot of upside potential. It's, I guess what I'm trying to say is we haven't missed the boat in, in silver and gold and some of the commodities we're talking about, platinum, even uranium. Yeah. You've talked a lot about uranium. Give us your worldview on uranium for a moment. Where do, where do you see that going? Yeah, I, I really one thing I really like about uranium is <clears throat> it's it's a pure supply demand equation. Um, you know, like if you're trading oil, you have to be very in tune with OPEC and you know, can they up supply, reduce supply with the precious metals, we have to worry about the bankers and manipulation and all this. With uranium, to me it's just a pure supply demand story. And the bottom line is the price is gonna have to rise to incentivize the new production that the world needs. And right now we're sitting right about fifty dollar uranium and my next target is about seventy three dollars. And I think there's a lot of money to be made in those mining stocks between 50 and 73 because it's such a small sector. There's only about 70 pure play uranium miners in the world. So, again, you know, that it's not my main focus, but I, I put about 20% of my mining stock portfolio into those uranium miners because very favorable risk reward setup. No, that, that's very big because I, I agree with you. Steve Mueller is on our program. He's a dentist, but he's extremely well connected with a lot of major names in the commodity space. He gets a ton of research. And gets phone calls all the time when stuff is happening. He's come on our channel three or four times talking about uranium and correctly called the next uranium bull market because he's so well connected. And and I agree with him. I've been writing about Ukraine, um, sorry, uranium, excuse me, mm -hmm. for about ten years. And we're finally starting to see that I was, you know, sort of way ahead of the curve. Steve was more timely. Mm -hmm. and, and I do think that uranium is in, you know, another bull market and it's not gonna stop. Um do you think concerns with Kazataprom and it and it's ability to produce, if we do get deeper into sort of a trade war and potentially kinetic war, they produce a lot of the world's uranium. And this is the thing that people have to realize. Russia holds about 20% of the world's reserves of everything. Yeah. And I, I was reading that the other day. I was like, holy crap. Mm -hmm. They're so big that they have 20% of all commodities. Not, not every commodity necessarily, but of all known reserves of the commodities complex. So could potential supply constraints really pop uranium very high, at least temporarily, as the market says, ooh, where do we get that supply? Yeah, I think so. And I think one of the next big drivers for the uranium bull market is going to be, they call it the long-term contracting cycle, where these utilities go out and secure future supply. And uh, they've been pretty cavalier because the price has been so low for so long. And I think they're realizing the need for security of supply. And you mentioned Kazataprom, that's the world's largest producer. Well, if, if that supply just becomes a little bit into question, that's going to, I think, accelerate this long-term contracting cycle, which will accelerate the bull market. Um, so I guess that's my general thoughts on that. <clears throat> yeah, gotcha. What else are you covering in your free newsletter that people should be aware of, either from a fundamentals or technical perspective that we haven't chatted about? Well, we talked about a lot of things, but just to highlight the historical undervaluation of platinum relative to other things, uh, that's something you, you just don't, you'll go decades without seeing that. Um, so th that's an opportunity that I don't think is getting much, uh, you know, not, not many people are talking about. That's one, one idea. And then, um, you know, strategy, um, <clears throat> we're, we're focused about 10% of the portfolio on trading opportunities to hedge around the long-term portfolio and, and risk management. That's always a big focus. Um, so I would yes. encourage people to go check that out. It's, it's free. There is a paid, a low ticket premium version, but 
we, we don't spam anyone. We try, try to provide a ton of value for free in that weekly report. Yeah, it's interesting you said the, the magic two words, risk management. I, I spent about 20 years of my career in various roles that have either a risk management component or, or under the risk management umbrella, audit, cybersecurity, mm -hmm. um, consulting, those types of things where we deal with risk. And I dealt with boards of directors and C-level execs all the way down to you know line managers and such. And risk really, in a corporate sense, is very well defined as a subject matter where people are hired in specifically for that role. In fact, my last role in corporate was network security risk management or cybersecurity risk management, if you will. Risk is, is the language of top-level executives. Yep. When they make decisions in companies, I can tell you they make risk decisions. There's no perfect decision. There's no cost-free decision. It's a risk-based decision. Yep. I think, however, when we talk about portfolio analytics and we talk about investment, risk is not one of those phrases that gets used quite as often. Steve, how important is it that we understand risk management when we're positioning ourselves in our portfolio? Yeah, 100%. And I like to say we deal in probabilities, not predictions. And risk management, it's, it kind of makes people yawn and not want to listen because <laughs> it, it is boring, but it's probably the most important thing. And there's no one size fits all answer. But, you know, for example, like if, if you've got 90% of your wealth in precious metals and mining stocks, your risk management plan is going to look very different from someone who's got a 10% position size. Um, yeah, risk management is involved in how we structure our portfolio, every decision we make. And um, there, there's so much that goes into it, but it's, it's often one of the most overlooked factors of building a portfolio, crafting an exit strategy, and how to play this bull market. Yeah, the most simplistic and overly simplistic way of thinking about it is don't bet it all on black, right? Yeah. Don't go to Vegas, bet on black. Mm -hmm. Don't you know, continue to take cards on 17 and blackjack. That's, you know, that's not good risk management. But really, it, it envelops having an understanding of market fundamentals and technicals at the same time to really build a view on what you see as risk. And I would say short, medium, and long term. Would you agree that that's probably a pretty good way to look at it? Yeah, 100%. And we see all these bullish fundamentals lining up. Well, we can use charts and technicals to identify lower risk entry points and potentially even places to take some off the table. And that's why I like technicals. They help me manage risk. I, I like to say a lot of people use technicals for predictions. And there's certainly a, a place for that, but you know the most valid technical patterns are accurate maybe 60% of the time, maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah. But what they really do, the real value is you can manage risk where let's say uh, you pull back to a key support level. I'm talking trading here. Mm -hmm. You can place a stop loss right below. So your downside risk is minimum relative to much more upside potential. Um, so fundamentals and technicals really go hand in hand in managing risk in my opinion. Yeah. And another way to kind of state that, another kind of window to view that, that, you know, what you said is overweight, what you think is going to do well, underweight, what you think is more risky, yeah. right? In a, in a simplistic version. And, and that's where you're trying to maximize your returns to the risk that you're taking, because you're always taking some amount of risk in your portfolio. Yep. 100%. All right, Steve, for those that are interested in learning more about your service, which by the way, gets recommended to me all the time. <laughs> I know lots of people follow you, big names in the industry follow you, love your stuff. How do people get involved if they want to do the free newsletter or if they're interested in doing your paid service? Well, I always recommend everyone start with the free letter, and uh, you'll probably link to that right below. So I encourage people to check that out. By the way, we do have a, a link just for Gold Silver Pros members. That's why I say click the link below to see that. That'll take you to the free free cool. sign up, and then from there, if you choose, you know you can upgrade to a low ticket option and try it out. And if it's not for you, no no hard feelings if you cancel. But most people really enjoy it and find a lot of value. So would welcome you to go check that out. 
Yeah, and I appreciate you, you know, providing us a, a subscription as well. Um, I haven't read every single email I've got, but I read every one that I can because I know it's, you know, and usually it's on a Sunday when you send it out or Monday mm -hmm. if I have time because it's going to be the most valuable information, one of the most valuable piece of information I look at during the week. It's very consolidated, very precise, very descriptive. It's very good. Uh, and yes, we do do an affiliate link with you because we used to do some of this, and, and I thought, you know what, other people kind of do it better and longer, and we've kind of moved it over to you. So we want people who previously were signed up on our Patreon to look at some of this stuff to move over to you to do that because I think you do such a good job, and we're happy, you know, to to recommend that because you do such a great job. And and again, thank you, Steve, so much for coming on the program. As I uh, said, we'll try to do this every two weeks, schedules permitting so that we can get Steve's view on the market. I think his comments in particular today are very timely as to what's going on. And it's nice to have like, you know, timely comments on the market because it helps you one risk management and also adjust your trading positions. So thank you, Steve, again, for joining the program. Yeah, thank you so much, Rob. Thank you for listening to the Gold Silver Pros podcast. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time.